Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We are going through the Bible. And if you have read Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy this week, you're going to feel like you're on vacation this coming week. <laughs> you only have 24 chapters in the book of Joshua. Open the Bible to book of Joshua. We began the historical books, not hysterical, historical books. We're going to look at verse two, chapter two, excuse me, not verse two, but chapter two. I, you can break down Joshua into three parts. The first five chapters crossing the river into the promised land. The second part of chapter six through 12 is conquering the Canaanite land, conquering the enemy. And part three is chapters 13 to 24, claiming all of the inheritance. And I've, you should have some breakdown for you uh, on that sheet that we gave you. But I want you to understand that Joshua is a book where they're, they're going into the promised land. There, there are no direct messianic prophecies in the book of Joshua. However, Joshua, Jesus, the same name, Hebrew, Yeshua, Jehovah is our salvation. You see Jesus pictured in Joshua as a type because he leads the people from the law or from the old wilderness into the promised land. Jesus is going to, has led us into, from the law into the new covenant with him. In chapter 5, you see Joshua encounter the captain or the commander of the Lord's army. I believe, personally, that is a pre-incarnate uh, uh, visit of Jesus to Joshua there are several instances like that, like when the, the three, uh, the, I started to say the three hot Hebrews, Mad, Meshach, Me, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They weren't hot at all, actually, but the fourth person with them is a picture of Christ in there. But what you're going to see today, I'm trying to show you how the thread of redemption runs through all the Old Testament, and especially pictures Jesus. Today, you're going to see a scarlet thread by a lady named Rahab. I want to read in chapter two. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove. Shatim means uh, the stream of the acacia trees to spy secretly saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. The woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued by the road to the Jordan to the fords, and as soon as those king's men who pursued them had gone out, 
they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all of the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two other kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token or a pledge of assurance and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, get to the mountain, let, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be upon his own head and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. So she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned to Jericho. The pursuers sought them all along the way but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain and crossed over and they came to Joshua the son of Nun and told him all that had befallen them and they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint hearted because of us. Joshua is about to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Right now, they are, right at this point, they are camped 14 miles from Jericho. They're on the east side of the Jordan River. Down in the Jordan Valley, there's a, the Jordan Valley Rift runs down along the side of the Jordan River, and there are wider places than others in it, but it goes all the way, flows all the way into Africa. Now, where they're camped, Shatim or the stream of the acacia trees, there's two streams that run down into the Jordan. There was plenty of water for them. And so they, seven miles got to the Jordan and then seven miles into Jericho to go to go spy it out. Jericho, for all you history buffs, is the oldest city in all of the world. And for all of you geography buffs, buffs, it's the lowest city in all of the world. In fact, it is right at the top of the Dead Sea, which is the lowest point on our planet. So, 
It's the perfect place for them to enter the land. And the reason is, is because it pretty much divides the land of Cana, Canaan. And it's a, it's a natural uh, place to, to enter. There's, it it, drift, it slopes down into the Jordan Valley and it's a good place for them to enter and when they take this over, then they can take it to the south or they can take it to the north and that's exactly what they did. So this is the place God says, I want you to cross and he sends, and Joshua sends in two spies to, to look it over. Now, if they can take Jericho, they've got a major foothold and of course it's God's plan to begin with. Now, what I want you to see in this chapter is a beautiful picture of the grace of God. Because Rahab goes from the house of shame to the hall of fame. And if God can save Rahab, he can save you and me. Some of you may feel like that you're so far gone, that you've, you've sinned so greatly, you're so far away from God, that God would never forgive you and God would never love you. God would never give you another chance. This is your chapter right here. Because I want you to see a beautiful picture of God's grace. So we begin by looking at Rahab first. And she was a very unlikely convert. She was a Canaanite. She was a pagan she was a prostitute. When you think of the with spies coming into Jericho, they entered into the house of a prostitute so that they wouldn't draw attention. It wouldn't be any big deal for two strange men to go into the house of a harlot. Her house was also located on the wall, which indicated that she was not very wealthy, obviously, because Actually, the wall, archaeologists will tell, tell us that there were two walls around Jericho and there were 12 feet in between them. And so some would put boards across the top and then they would build a house or a hut or whatever. And so she lived on the wall, made it very easy for the spies to come in and to get out. Now, with that in mind, I want you, when I say unlikely, she had several strikes against her. First of all, she was existing in spiritual darkness. All lost people are, are living in darkness. The Canaanites were the enemy. Let me tell you a little bit about the Canaanites. Because when you read Joshua, you're going to say, man, they wiped them out. Well, there's a reason for that, and I'll tell you in just a minute. But the Canaanites in Jericho were pagans. We don't have any details in this passage about the Canaanites, but from other sources, let me just tell you a little bit about them. They were polytheists. There were lots of people like the Hittites and the Ammonites and the Jebusites and all the other Ite brothers that you can think of. They were polytheists, means they worshiped many gods, all of them false, and Jericho being a Canaanite city, would have probably had shrines and temples and idols all over the place. The worship of these deities, who were their deities? Baal. Baal was the chief god. He had a wife. Now, this is all made up because this isn't a true god, but Baal was their chief god. Uh, Ashtoreth uh, is his wife. Her name in the Babylonians was Ishtar, and Greek name was Astarte, which she was the one that appealed to Israel because she was, or Baal appealed to Israel because he was the God of the weather. 
and fertile crops. And you'll hear later, as you read the Old Testament, you see them mixing and following the people with the people of Baal. But one of the things about these temples, there were temple prostitutes, there were temple sodomites, there were all kinds of sexual misbehavior. And when they worshiped, it was basically just one big orgy. They also were barbaric. When they, many of them, if not all of them, but many of them killed their firstborn child, sacrificing it to one of these gods. Archaeologists have found jars uh, containing the remains of children and newborn babies who've been sacrificed to Baal. So you can think of all of the bad things that humankind can do. Canaanites were like that. This is the background Rahab came from. She grew up knowing nothing about except these false gods. And yet, despite her religious background, despite her natural religious beliefs that she had come to know, to trust in, somehow she came to know God. Now, she was also a woman. In that day, that didn't help. There's an old daily Jewish prayer that went like this. I thank God I was not born a Gentile or a woman. The prevailing attitude toward women in that society is that they were second class or almost like property. But you can see the background that Rahab is coming out of here. Barbarians, pagans, immoral. That's her background in darkness, spiritual darkness. You wonder what's going on in this nation today? You wonder why people are doing the things they're doing? It's because they're in spiritual darkness. And until Jesus Christ turns on the light and gives them light, they're going to act that way. The second strike against her, that she was engaging in shameful depravity. She she was not a religious prostitute that had a little high esteem in culture. She was out there on the outside of social respectability. As far as God was concerned, you read this week in Deuteronomy 23, 17, no Israelite woman was to become a prostitute. Verse 18 of chapter 23 of Deuteronomy says a prostitute's offering was rejected by God. Leviticus 21, 19, if a priest's daughter became a harlot, she was burned. And Leviticus 18 tells us that the loose morals of the Canaanites was the reason God says, we're gonna wipe the slate clean. That's why when Israelites went into Canaan, they were to annihilate it all. God said, we're gonna wipe it clean. Now, you have to take that up with God, but in Leviticus 18, you can read that chapter. You can see why God did what he did to the Canaanites. We think, well, he's just a cruel God, but I'm gonna tell you, God is a holy God. And... She was engaged in that same kind of shameful behavior. She was also en route to sudden destruction. The, the inhabitants of Jericho were about to be destroyed. And so you think about where she's come from. She's in spiritual darkness. She's engaged in immoral behavior. And she's a target for destruction. That describes lost people today. 
People are in darkness. As a result, they call wrong right and right wrong. They live any way they want to. And the scripture tells us that the day's coming when they will be under the judgment of God. Warren Wiersbe said Rahab's conversion was truly an act of God's grace. Like all the citizens of Canaan, Rahab was under condemnation and destined to die. God commanded the Jews to utterly destroy them and show them no mercy. Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 3. Rahab was a Gentile outside the covenant mercy shown to Israel. You can read about that in Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 13. And she didn't deserve to be saved. But if anybody ever experienced Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, it was Rahab. God's mercy fell upon us. What does that tell you and me? That God sees the potential in all of us. Why would God choose a prostitute? Why would God choose a harlot? Surely there was somebody more reputable character in Jericho that could have done the same thing. Wouldn't you think? She's mentioned in three books of the Bible, Joshua, Hebrews, and James. And every time she's mentioned, without exception, Rahab the harlot, Rahab the prostitute, you would begin to think it was her last name. It's not to humiliate her. It's not to demean her memory. But it's to cast in bold letters the grace of God can fall on anybody. Now, regardless of the kind of life a person has lived, there's forgiveness of sin. No matter what you've done, there's forgiveness. Romans 5.20 Excuse, excuse, where sin was abounded, grace did much more abound. And get this, the two times that she's mentioned in the New Testament, Hebrews and James, she's put in the same context as Sarah and Abraham. Now look at the contrast. Sarah, a godly woman married to the founder of the Hebrew race and God used her dedicated body to bring Isaac into the world. Rahab was an ungodly Gentile who worshiped pagan gods and sold her body for money. Now, from a human perspective, they have nothing in common. But from a divine perspective, they have everything in common because they both came to God through faith. And what I'm trying to let you see is that regardless of where you are in society's scale, whatever that might be and whoever invented it. You may think you're up here and you've got everything that life has to offer and then some of you may be down here and you have nothing, you're in the gutters of life. But I wanna tell you, you all come to God through faith in Jesus. Amen. That's what they have in common. Doesn't matter how good looking you are or how wealthy you are or whatever social class you are or whatever race you might be. You still come to God the same way, through faith. They both had and experienced saving faith in the true and living God. Now, this unlikely convert makes an unmistakable confession in verses eight through 21. I want to call your attention to a couple of the verses. Look at verse nine. After the king's men had quit chasing the spies, 
or, or they left to go chase the spies. She sent them on a wild goose chase. That's my term. It's not in the scripture. It's not a Hebrew phrase. <laughs> she, uh, she goes up on the roof to speak to them and notice what she does. First, she acknowledges God's promise. And look at verse nine. I know that the Lord has given you the land. Now, how she knew that, I don't know. And then it says that the terror of you has fallen on us. That word us does not mean just the inhabitants of Jericho. It means all the Canaanites all throughout the land. She acknowledges the promise of God. Then she affirms God's power. Look at verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. How long ago did that happen? How long did they wander in the wilderness? Okay, 40 years ago, she said, we heard what happened to you in the Red Sea. We heard how God dried up the Red Sea and you came across out of Egypt. 40 years ago. And all the Canaanites heard about it. And now you've got several million Israelites walking around out here about to come into the land and they're all afraid. But she said, we saw what your God did for you. We heard about it. And then notice, she mentions the Amorites in verse 11, excuse me, verse 10. We know what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When Moses was leading the children of Israel out in the wilderness, he tried to go through Edom and the king of Edom wouldn't let him through. The Amorites wouldn't let him through. So he... He went around and he came to the eastern border and there was Sion, the king of the Amorites. Now, the Amorites were from Syria. And when Sion also refused passage, there was a battle at Jahaz and Sion was decisively defeated by the Israelites who captured all the cities and villages and lived in them for a while. Later on, that kingdom was divided between Reuben and Gad but then she mentions the defeat. And you can read about some of this in Numbers 21, chapter, chapter 21, 21 to 35. But also in Numbers 21, you find the defeat of Og. What a weird name. It's, you find a little bit more about it in Deuteronomy 3, 1 through 11. But of particular interest is Og's bed. 13 feet long six feet wide. That's a big dude. He could have been one of the giants that maybe the spy saw 40 years ago. Uh, but Israel's great victory over Og and over Sion and the Amorites got the Canaanites' attention. And she affirmed God's power. We know that your God, in fact, she, look what she says in verse 11. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And then beginning in chapter, excuse me, verse 12 down through verse 21, you find her appeal. She appeals for God's protection and preservation. What I want you to see is that God can deliver you from your past. In fact, she goes from a call girl to a converted girl. Her life completely changed. Some of you 
may have tuned into this by accident. You may be watching and you're thinking, I wish I could get my life straightened out. I wish that God would forgive me. I wish God loved me. And folks, I want to tell you, God can deliver you from his path, from your past. In fact, have you ever thought about some of the people that God used? Jonah, he ran away from God. The disciples, they couldn't stay awake long enough to pray with Jesus. Martha was a warrior. Moses stuttered. The Samaritan woman had been divorced at least four times. Jacob was a liar. I mean, he picked some wonderful people, didn't he? And yet Paul says, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. I'm in that group. You're in that group. Until you come to understand that you're in that group, God cannot save you. A little girl had a collection of dolls, dozens of dolls of all descriptions. And it was obvious that her doll collection brought her a lot of pleasure. And one visitor in the home said, of all of these dolls, which one is your favorite? She said, just a minute and I'll show you. And she went into her closet and she brought out a doll that Goodwill would not even take. It was missing one eye. It had lost most of its hair. The head was hanging onto the neck by a sliver of plastic. The dress was old and dirty and one shoe was missing. The visitor said, why do you love this doll so much? And she said, because if I didn't, nobody would. That's God. You may think nobody loves you. You may think you're too far gone. You may think you've sinned too greatly, but I want to tell you, God still and always has loved you. Now, she had to fulfill three conditions. So there's an undeniable conduct here. Her faith in God is shown by what she did. She didn't do it to be set well. She did it as a result of what the spies said. This is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to be saved. She's first going to tie a scarlet, crimson, a red cord in her window. So when the Israelites come in chapter 6, they come into Jericho. When they see that red cord, it's going to prevent them from attacking there. It's going, to, it's going to be a, she's going to be able to hide behind the red cord. Now, y'all see the picture of this? Because when the judgment of God falls one day on this earth, what are we standing behind? We're standing behind that scarlet thread, the blood on the cross. Jesus Christ paid for our sins. The blood was shed for the cross and we are washed in the blood as we sing about it. We stand behind him. His blood covers our sin. So she had to put this red cord to show that, that she was acting by faith. She also had to gather her parents and her brothers and sisters into her house and they had to keep it a secret. And we know that she did because in chapter 6, verses 21 to 25, her life and her family was spared. She did exactly what was required of her. Hebrews eleven thirty one 31 says, By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. 
Folks, I want to tell you something. When you give your life to Christ, there are side effects. Do y'all ever want, do y'all get tired of those drug commercials on television? My word. How many, I would like to know who comes up with the names of those things. But, but they, they say, well, now you need to take this and tell your doctor, ask your doctor about this. And then it, it starts to list all those side effects while you're looking at these beautiful pictures or something to get your mind off so you're not listening to the side effects. Because if you listen to the side effects, you'll never touch that drug. Salvation has side effects. Changes your life. They're good side effects. When the Spirit of God comes into your life and lives in you, your attitude, your actions begin to change. But you don't get it unless you trust God in faith. But the side effects in Rahab's life is that she did exactly what she was supposed to do. 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. All things have become new. You never stay the same when you come to Christ. Now, there's discipline in that life, but you don't stay the same. There was a man preaching on the street, and out there standing by him was an agnostic. You know, it doesn't take much to be an agnostic. You just don't believe in anything. There's no faith in anything. You become cynical. Anyway, this agnostic was standing out here heckling this man preaching the gospel. He said, you're just dreaming. You're just dreaming. You're just dreaming. A little boy walked up to him, touched him on the side, said, mister, that's my daddy. And before he met Jesus, he used to come home drunk. He had beat my mommy and me. We used to go hungry and my daddy would not come home for days. But since he's met Jesus, he now loves us and takes care of us now. He's a good daddy. So, mister, if he's dreaming, don't you dare wake him up. (laughs) And I want to tell you something. When you come to know the Lord, you're not dreaming. He changes your life. Sitting in church doesn't change your life. I I, I hear people say, well, my parents made me go to church, and I just don't believe in any of that stuff. Well, you better start believing it because the Scripture is accurate and true. And real faith is shown in our action. You don't just pray a prayer and get baptized. It's a commitment of your life to Jesus Christ. The last thing I want you to see is the best part. You can't imagine the consequence. It's unimaginable. I want to read to you out of Matthew chapter one. Now you would have skipped over this because it's got those begats in it. Verse five, Matthew one. Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. In other words, she was so changed, so transformed, she became part of the bloodline of the Messiah. She gave birth to Boaz, which was the great, great grandfather of David, the king. 
She's a harlot that became a hero. A citizen of Jericho became a citizen of heaven. A shady lady of Jericho became a shining star for this Jewish people. She was a lady who slept with the most perverted of Jericho who later married a prince of Israel. She's not remembered for her harlotry, but her bravery. She isn't remembered so much for her profession as she is for her confession. Two true stories I want to tell you and I'm done. Christina. Christina lived in a small dusty village in Brazil. Her heart was empty. She felt like society had cheated her. She'd always heard about Rio and she wanted to go there. One morning, her mother, Maria, woke up to find Christina's room empty. She knew what Christina had done. She'd run away. And Maria knew immediately where her daughter had gone, so she, she knew what she had to do. She quickly threw some clothes in a bag. She gathered up what little money she had and ran out of the house. And on her way to the bus stop, she stopped in a drugstore to get one last thing pictures. She went in one of those little photo booths where you close the curtain and it takes those black and white pictures and all the money that she could spare at the time, she bought a bunch of pictures. Put them in her purse and pictures of herself. And she took off on the bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money, so she also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. And when pride meets hunger, a human will do anything some things that they never thought they would ever do. And knowing this, Maria began her search looking in the bars and the hotels and the nightclubs, any place with a reputation for streetwalkers or prostitutes. She went to the mall and in each place she left her picture taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked in a hotel bulletin board, fastened to a corner phone booth, and on the back of each photo she wrote a note. And it wasn't long before Maria ran out of money and she had to leave to go back to her village. And she got on the bus crying, knowing that she had not found her daughter. A few weeks later, Christina descended the stairs of a hotel. She looked tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth, but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. And a thousand times over, she had longed to trade those countless beds for her secure pallet at home. Yet the little village was in too many ways too far away. And as she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother, Christina's eyes burned and her throat tightened as she walked across her room and removed that small photo and written on the back was this compelling invitation. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she did. That is the same message that God has for mankind. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, please come home. Many of you may have heard the name Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham in the back of the first part of the of 1900s was an evangelist. 
a very strong evangelist. In fact, Billy Graham was saved at one of the times Mordecai Ham was preaching. But Mordecai Ham had a meeting in Gonzales, Texas. J.P. Schofield, not Schofield, but Schofield was there as he spoke to some prisoners. And in the audience was a man that had killed four men. And this man, this killer, had listened to Ham explain what, that Christ is a refuge for sinners of any and every stripe and that the cities of refuge are a type of Christ who is a haven of hope and eternal forgiveness for all who will flee to him. And right in the middle of the sermon, this man who had killed four men jumped up and shouted, Saved! 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 Because right in the middle of that sermon, he had met Jesus. And, and Schofield was so inspired for the next, uh, at that, the next day in the afternoon, he composed the words of this song. I have I found a friend who is all to me. His love is ever true. I love to tell how he lifted me and what his grace can do for you. Saved by his power divine. Saved to new life sublime. Life now is sweet and my joy is complete. Say it with me. For I'm saved, saved, saved. That's what God can do for you. No matter where you've been, no matter who you are, no matter what you've become, if you will turn from your sin. Ask God to forgive you and trust Jesus Christ by faith. You can't please God except by faith. If you want me to prove there's a God, I can't do it. But you can't prove there's not either. It takes faith, trust in the Lord. Would you bow your heads? Lord, I pray for those today who need Jesus. No matter where they are, no matter what they've done, we pray that they would come to know you right now. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you can ask him to forgive you. You can ask him to save you right now. Maybe you need a church. Christians need a church. Christians are born again. Jesus gave his life for the church. You need to be part of a body of believers. This is the place maybe God says, come on. You're supposed to be baptized. It doesn't save you. It doesn't wash away your sin, but it's the first proof that you've really been saved. If you can't acknowledge Jesus Christ to other Christians, you're not going to acknowledge him at all. It's the first act of obedience. Jesus said, profess me before men. He walked 30 miles to be baptized. Lord, I pray you give people courage and fortitude to be baptized and not be ashamed. Quit making excuses. Lord, thank you for saving us. It's hard for us to imagine where we would be today had we not ever come to you as our Savior. I pray today for those that need Christ. If you're watching online, if you'll just simply click that connect button, somebody will help you. 
For those of you in this room, after we're dismissed, there'll be pastors here to pray with you, to help you. Maybe you just want to write it on that card and put it in the boxes by the doors as you leave and we will call you and help you with whatever commitment. So Lord, today, we ask you to change lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.